Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. We're delighted to welcome from the American Enterprise Institute, Gary Schmidt. I hope you don't mind crossing the streams over here and joining us at the Weekly Standard, Gary. No, I always listen to your podcast, and uh, you know I write often for the Weekly Standard, so this is right at home. Uh, and uh, yet again, you're being asked to talk about another incident of Islamist-inspired terrorism. Before we talk about the specifics of Brussels, where would you say what used to be called the global war on terror is today in uh, March of 2016? Um, well, I think we're in a big slump. Uh, we had actually put al-Qaeda back on its heels. Um, in mid-2006, 2007, um, they were still obviously a threat, but not nearly what they had been. And now we're dealing with ISIS, and while we've mitigated some of the problems with ISIS, the threat level has actually obviously gone up just by the number of attacks and the fact that we haven't actually just dealt them a decisive blow in Syria or Iraq or, uh, or in the new front, which is Libya. You uh, talk about ISIS and its successes. Is it because ISIS is smarter, the way it approaches this kind of you know combination of lone wolf, small cell approach versus al-Qaeda? Uh, or is it because the West's response to ISIS has been either wrong-footed or insufficient? I think it's mostly the latter. I mean, obviously, ISIS has learned from al-Qaeda's, uh, both its, some of its successes, but also a lot of its failures. And I think they've learned uh, to operate much more clandestinely. Um, but also, you know, the West has given them a lot of free space. You know, after 9-11, we took away that free space uh, from al-Qaeda. And with ISIS, they've got an immense amount of uh, free space in, in, you know, places like Syria and Iraq now and, and increasingly Libya. So uh, the policy end of things is we've kind of let our foot off the pedal. And the result is uh, ISIS has been able to take advantage of it. You've had an interesting piece for AEI today, and we're talking to Gary Schmidt here on the Weekly Standard Podcast, uh, in which you uh, talk about uh, Belgium being the weak link when it comes to Europe's uh, either counterterrorism or counter-ISIS efforts. What do you mean by that? Well, a couple of things. Uh, one is, it's, you know, it's an open border with other countries, which, of course, is true for most of Europe. But the policing and security apparatus in Belgium is really quite divided, um, you know, Belgium is divided linguistically and ethnically, and that gets reflected in the police and security work they do as well. So there's a lack of communication. And Brussels is, is, is itself a divided city, so, so uh, the kind of coordination you need for intelligence purposes uh, really is quite poor uh, when it comes to Belgium. And the second thing is, uh, per capita, there's probably more uh, returning ISIS fighters from Syria and Belgium than any other country in, in Europe. So. It's no surprise that Belgium became kind of the uh, home base for operations, particularly in France, where the French intelligence services are, uh, even though they're kind of overwhelmed by the problem they face with ISIS at, uh, inside France, uh, the truth is the French security services are quite good. So it's better to work in Belgium and then operate in France, France than try to operate in France itself. Yeah, it is fascinating that Belgium, a relatively small country, has two to four times as many uh, fighters that have left their short, their borders to go fight with ISIS as the surrounding countries like Germany and France, which are so much larger. Is that a reflection, do you think, of the culture in Belgium? Or is it that, that uh, those political divides that you talked about? I thought it was interesting. Someone mentioned earlier today that there are six major 
or organizations or nation states with capitals in Brussels. And they said that kind of added to the fracturing, if you will, that you've discussed, Gary, where the climate for these extremists to operate is uh, is more open. Yeah, I think there's a kind of a, um, artificiality to Belgium itself. I mean, I'm sure I'll get a lot of calls now about people telling me <laughs> that it's you know, a serious country, but the truth is, it's it's never really overcome its ethnic divides, and and if you uh, put into that divide uh, other kinds of populations, it's really hard to imagine uh, assimilation to a country where even the major parts of the of the population themselves really aren't quite sure uh, whether they're more Flemish, or they're more Walloon, or they're more uh, Belgique. So it, it, it's you know, even though other countries have problems in Europe and uh, assimilation, it's particularly uh, a ser- more serious problem in Belgium. But there's also this notion that uh, Europeans as a whole should expect their citizens to share some fundamental European values the way that Americans expect our fellow citizens, no matter where they, you know, their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents came from, should, should share those. And I don't get a sense of that. I, I do quite a bit of media in Europe, and that's a, they, they always get a prickly Gary, when I raise that issue of yeah. shared values, and you consider this, I think it's a telling fact, you tell me, that uh, the uh, Paris bomber uh, mastermind was able to go not just back to Belgium, back to his old neighborhood. He was found 500 yards from his childhood home, which means he was operating, living among people who had to know him on site, and yet apparently nobody contacted the authorities and said, here's the most wanted man in the Western world. And the uh, the discussion is, is that because the people he's with don't feel any loyalty to the Western world? They feel more loyalty to either uh, their broader culture from the Middle East or for, to their Islamic faith in particular? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, one of the things uh, in the United States that has to happen, uh, in, uh, even though we don't have nearly the same amount of problems, um, when you have a young Muslim that's going astray here in the United States, uh, one of the advantages we have is the local community will often approach uh, police and or the FBI and say, you know, we think there might be a problem. And so that local kind of attachment, uh, both the country uh, and to, you know, your, your locale really does matter when you're talking about trying to ferret out um, uh, conspiracy plots like these. And, and then, as you say, you know, it's hard to know what exactly it means to be a European these days. Or is it the loyalty to EU, uh, which is so broad and nebulous that it's hard to know what that means? Or is it to a particular, you know, culture like uh, Hungarian or French, in which case then Muslims find it hard to think about being assimilated in those countries because there's such a strong cultural tradition. So there's kind of a no man's land when it comes to assimilation with um, I wouldn't say a majority of Muslims, of course, in Europe, but uh, a significant minority for sure. So that brings us to where should we go from here? Uh, As you know, Donald Trump has uh, used this terrorist attack to uh, double down in his call for America to simply shut its borders to Muslims, period. Uh, And uh, then you have uh, conversations with uh, the other Republican candidates talking about, you know, being tough on ISIS and on the uh, Islamist threat. Uh, Certainly uh, Hillary Clinton has talked about uh, wanting to take on the Islamist threat as well. Uh, Is there a 
a candidate who's talking about the right things, in your opinion, Gary? Or is there uh, some approach that doesn't seem to be on the table that you would be urging people? Look, this is a smart way to move forward, given the ongoing threat. Uh, Well, I think one of the problems uh, is the debate over privacy and intelligence. And there, I think the candidates have uh, fallen down. uh, The remaining candidates have kind of fallen down on the job. They've tended to absolutize privacy over uh, intelligence collection that we need. I mean, I'm a big as, big as advocate of privacy as you need, uh, but there's also the rights of uh, life and liberty, and liberty meaning uh, being able to live your life in a peaceful environment. Um, and that um, debate, I'm, I'm sorry to say, hasn't been really done in a serious fashion with the candidates. Uh, the second thing that seems to be completely off the table is, is in both Europe and the United States and uh, our campaigns is, look, the fact of the matter is ISIS has taken advantage of, of the lack of, of any kind of serious effort to uh, tackle them on their home front, which is in Syria, Iraq, and Libya. Uh, the Obama administration's campaign, bombing campaign uh, has done some damage, but it's not been decisive strategically. And frankly, I think if you really want to get to the heart of this problem, you're going to have to deal with ISIS on uh, its turf, not our turf. And that's uh, interesting to me. Uh, You know, the San Bernardino attack, you could argue ISIS inspired some tenuous links there. Uh, Some of the lone wolf attacks in the United States, you say, yes, ISIS and and this bizarre phrase of self-radicalization. I'm not sure I know what that means. I don't know any other way to pick up an ideology other than to choose to pick it up yourself. But we'll, we'll, we'll leave that aside. The Europeans have a direct pipeline. They can look right down the funnel. You know, ISIS on one end, Paris and Brussels on the other. Why is it the Europeans aren't responding the way that I think Americans would? If this were comparable and you had Americans going there and coming back and bringing the violence with them with a massive attack on New York or Washington or Kansas City, I think America would be going, yes, we're going to get them now. No more messing around. Grab the troops. Grab the planes. We are going to wipe out ISIS because they came to get us. I see no. the Europeans don't even seem to have that on the table at all, Gary. No, and part of it has to do with, of course, their own feelings about, you know, sort of the struggles that happened in Iraq and Afghanistan. But of course, that was largely a problem of us ourselves not being completely serious about those campaigns. And when we did get serious, uh, things moved in the right direction. Um, So partially, it's, you know, a kind of a misreading of recent history. But it's also a problem, which is that they've, you know, frankly taking, taken off the books so much military capability that they find it hard to believe that they could actually do something in a serious manner, or at least in a serious manner without the U.S. being in the lead. And as we both know, that's the last thing the Obama administration is interested in. So uh, they're at sea both because of the capabilities, but also because of will. Well, the only... Good news from the political standpoint in this horrific, uh, terrible uh, uh, act of uh, violence in Europe is I've been pleasantly surprised, Gary, at how few people have stepped up to offer the titled uh, Islam as religion of peace. As Hillary Clinton said, Muslims have no connection whatsoever to violence. Uh, I think that even the Barack Obamas and uh, the like have realized that that answer is no longer 
acceptable, that, that it's time to be more honest, that within the world of Islam, a, a, a faith with many, many, uh, you know, uh, uh, fine uh, adherents, that there clearly is a problem and you're not going to be able to just wish that away anymore. So maybe this is a, this terrible uh, event will lead to some s- small steps towards re- uh, realism about the current state of Islam and we can move forward from there. Yeah, no, we've had, uh, and Europeans in particular have had uh, two years of really tough times, and one would hope uh, perhaps that, uh, you know, it's not as though uh, the United States will be forever uh, free from this kind of threat, and so at some point somebody is going to have to turn around and say something serious about, and Hollande uh, and the French, you know, have said, we're at war, and and if, if they take that seriously, that means certain things. Um, and hopefully both the administration and the governments in Europe, the capitals in Europe, uh, you know, move down a front that actually uh, takes that, those words serious. I hope everyone will take a moment to go to AEI.org and read the latest from Gary Schmidt about the attacks in Brussels and how to move forward from there. Gary, thanks for joining us for this podcast. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.